Good morning, friends. Will you pray with me? Lord, 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 give us ears to hear and hearts to listen as we consider your word to us this day. Open us to receive and remember that we may know and follow you. Amen. Our Old Testament and Gospel readings today uh, pick up from where they left off last week. In 2 Samuel, we see God confront David through the prophet Nathan after David uses his power to commit adultery with Bathsheba and murder her husband Uriah. And in the Gospel, we see the crowd following Jesus across the sea in search of more bread after having been filled already in the feeding of 5,000 the previous day. But they don't get the bread that they were expecting. In his words to us last week, Joe Rose spoke of different kinds of bread in our lives. And he emphasized the way in which God somehow gives more than enough and makes sure that not even the leftovers are lost. There is such a beauty and promise in God's message to make sure that not even the crumbs of plenty are lost and that we will not be lost. But this week, I felt drawn by the story of David and of the crowd at Capernaum to think about the many times when, in fact, we feel very lost, when we don't feel ourselves as the recipients of abundance, but rather as empty and needing something outside of our grasp, when we feel like we aren't receiving what we most deeply need and long for. When we look at David, it seems as though he has everything one could want. As Nathan said, he is God's anointed over Israel. He was saved from the hands of Saul, inherited a united kingdom of Israel and Judah, has a palace and wives, prestige and talents and plenty. And beyond this even, David is called a man after God's own heart and has an intimate relationship with him throughout his, his journey of trouble and triumph. Why then does he strike out with Bathsheba and Uriah? How is he capable of this unspeakable action? I think it was because David, like all of us, experiences moments and indeed periods of desolation, of emptiness, even in times of plenty, we can feel like we are alone and adrift in the ocean. In times of loss or anxiety, fear or hurt, we are that much more susceptible feeling distant from God and his bountiful gifts of bread. In moments like these, we try to fill ourselves. The nearest source of engagement or distraction, or immediate satisfaction. We know instinctually that we are not made to be or to feel empty. That's not what we're for. And instinctually, we seek comfort and fullness. Everyone seems to settle to number three when describing things. Um, and for better or worse, I'm going to follow suit. Almost like a broken mirror of the Trinity, 
I see three ways that we follow one impulse, trying to fill our own emptiness. The first thing that comes to mind is that we simply engage with something nearby that we hope will give us rest. This could be anything that we expect to enjoy, food, a movie, a drink, a good book. I myself often reach into the pantry. This week, um, much to my dismay, it was very woefully unstocked. Um, but I reach for the acoustic guitar also that sits behind me every day behind my desk, it's very inviting. These are the simple fruits of this world and are good things. But when we reach for them in desperation, instinctually from some sort of emptiness, I find that these foods only stop the hunger while I'm eating. As soon as it's over, I feel um, dull. It's not always empty exactly, but it's hardly full of life. And why not? I just fed myself with good things that I usually enjoy. Let's turn to the second thing. As I see it, I think this is what David um, fell into, or at least it is an entangled second factor for his actions. This is when we fill ourselves with something that is not good. Do you know this experience? You're feeling off, a little empty or drained, tired, and certainly not present to God. And then you see something that for a moment flashes as a desire, something that might make you feel better or more alive, you think. But in that same instant, you get that poke of conscience. You can sense that your desire and your conscience are at least somewhat in conflict. Maybe someone is messing up at work and you want so badly to tell them off about it or to rant to your other coworkers of how they're not following through or not, not holding something up. You're frustrated and it would feel so good to just let it out, stick it to them a little bit. But before you try to fill yourself up in the put down, your conscience flashes, if briefly, and then often, as in David, you go right ahead and do it anyway. It's, it's a choice to close off that, that openness to um, what is true and right, and you attempt to fill yourself up in the act. Unfortunately, I know this so well. Um, I revisited this week some times in just this past year where I felt um, I was had wronged my coworkers without them knowing it by speaking to, to others about my frustrations or about silly things that um, I didn't need to say. And David, I think, was an expert at closing himself off when he wanted to. When he committed the act with Bathsheba, it was not immediately that Nathan comes to him. No, it was months. It was months and months, and David, and all that time, apparently, did not come to God and say, I have sinned, did not repent. In fact, he closed himself off so well from God's word and spirit that he killed the man in order to hide.
The third way I think that we try to fill ourselves is when we go directly to God in order to fill our emptiness. Sounds like the best option, right? I think it depends. This brings us to the crowd around Jesus in our gospel reading today. Let's, let's reread for a moment. They come to Jesus all the way across the sea after being filled. And Jesus tells them, instead of answering their forthright question, he says, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And a few lines down, they say, what must we do to perform the works of God? I think what I see in this is the way they come to God um, is sort of transactional. Jesus says that they're looking for the wrong kind of food and that they must work for the right kind of food. And what sticks, work. Um, What must we do to perform the works of God to get the food that doesn't perish? Not only are they looking for the wrong thing, Jesus himself, but they're going about it the wrong way, becoming demanding transaction, not gift. So is there another way If these options, even going to God, don't fill us? What do we do? I think you know the answer that the gospel and I will give. The bread of life, Jesus. Well, okay, Jesus is the answer, great. But how does this help? What does the bread of life mean? What does it mean that we will never be hungry and never be thirsty? Well, one thing is to look ahead. Afterlife in heaven. Part of the promise of Jesus is that there will be a paradise after this life, that there will be a place where we will be with God. So that's one way, but also maybe the hope of heaven can give us that peace that we need when we feel empty, longing, when there's there's something not right. We can know that there's a promise to us and we can hope in it, find trust. However, what about now? Are there other ways that we can receive this bread of life? Is there other ways that there is a bread of life that offers something to us in our desolation. One thing that comes to mind is something that we come here for, the Eucharist, a very little bread that is supposed to be both a sign and a manifestation of God with us each week. I think that there are other ways though as well There is a concept that my mom has shared with me over the years um, and that she may have gotten from elsewhere and I may have as well, but uh, it's called eternal moments. 
I think that Jesus in his person can see, clearly be seen as the eternal coming into the time, into the specifics, into matter, a body. But I think also the eternal enters our lives regularly, or at least periodically in times. How have you been filled up in your life? Can you think of a time where you were filled with joy or peace? I'll give just a few examples of mine recently. Um, one was uh, after uh, doing my job in the Sterling Memorial Library, I was walking around the stacks up uh, or, or on the shelves. And if you've ever been up there, you know it's hardly a warm place. It's uh, rows and rows of metal and paper and the lighting is just a little bit eerie and it just goes on and on. And if you, as I had to do, have walked, just paced all the way through. Um, it, it can be an odd place. Yeah, at the time, this one day, I was listening to a podcast um, that was completely life-giving. The, the author of this book was talking about all these ways in which um, he was seeing life in the underland. The book was called The Underland by Robert McFarlane. And it was accompanied with this um, album that had been made by artists in the United Kingdom. And I was just walking, so I thought, sure, I'll turn it on. And I was filled with the life of this music. And suddenly, bookshelves came to life. And um, something I rarely do, as my friends know, if ever I've been to a party, I danced. Right there in the middle of Stone Memorial Library, amongst these cold bookshelves, with my ear my earphones in and no one was around. And there I was spinning around, light on my feet um, for however long it took me to get from floor seven down to the first floor. I was filled up. It was bread of life. Another time that comes to mind. Well, this last uh, Thanksgiving, I think it was this last year, um, I was sitting around the table with my um, close family and um, a few relatives from across the country. And my grandfather, who is usually very quiet at our family gatherings, he starts to speak up right after um, the prayer. And he just says, I have to tell all of you how grateful I am to be with you and that we have such a family that is, that is with us and cares about one another and shows up for each other. And he said it very quietly and calmly, um, but you could see there was a deep peace, a deep filling. And his 93-year-old wisdom looked at his family and he had all the bread he needed before he started his meal. One last thing from me recently. I was a graduate um, in the year of 2020 in the spring, which means that um, because of COVID, my end of my senior year was sort of cut short and we were kicked off campus and sent to our homes. And um, it was a desolate time of being ripped away from my friends. This last weekend, I met up with many of those friends uh, the first time that all of us were able to gather. And the morning, the Saturday morning after the Friday night, I got up early with a cup of coffee and walked out onto the pier um, at the lake at Fairfield or at the Sound in Fairfield. 
And I turn around after a few minutes staring into the water and see my friend Brian on the shore looking at me. And without any words and spontaneously, we greet each other, one hand up and one cup of joe. And it was just the most joyous experience. I was reminded of loss that weekend, the loss of the time that I didn't have with my friends. And yet filled up in a moment like that, reminding me all the good things that made that loss so hard. All the things that had filled that time in my undergraduate experience with joy and belonging. These are what I call eternal moments when God makes himself present to us. When we're in moments of desolation, I think it is key to remember what Jesus is telling us in this gospel lesson, that God has already given us manna. Not Moses, not anything in our lives, not any any one thing in this world, but it comes from the eternal. It mingles with us in our lives. So what then are we to do when we're feeling desperate like David, when we're feeling empty, whether forced upon us or even in moments of plenty? I think it's a continual return. There's a professor at um, my alma mater, Richard Kearney, who wrote a book um, that talked about sacramental return, returning to God, returning to the eternal, to at least the question of the eternal in the things in our lives, in the material, in the bread of our lives. I think this is what we're called to. I think this is part of the epistle that we read from Paul as well. The last thing I just want to say before I close is to remind ourselves when we are in moments of, of uh, distraction, moments of grasping like David, learn from David's example. David in his song, in our Psalms, if you reread them, he again opens himself up to God. He's committed an act that is hard to talk about even. And yet, when confronted, finally, even after months, he says, God, here I am. I have sinned. And he writes to God about it. He opens himself up completely. I think that this is, this is the way, as he says, to renew a right spirit, to find peace, to find that bread of life that we need along our way in this life, to fill us up. So as we go out into this day, into this week, think about what, what bread are we consuming and what gifts of eternal moments and the bread of life have we received that we can call on and draw from. Amen.